welcome to Failing Forward. Can you introduce yourself for our listeners? My name is Bob Robatsky, and up until about a month ago, I was the director of Feed the Future Partnering for Innovation, a large investment fund provided by USAID's Bureau of Food Security. And the purpose of it is to identify companies with game-changing technologies that can benefit smallholder farmers. Tell us a little bit about the context you're talking about today. Partnerships are essentially an agreement that we negotiate with a private company to deliver either innovative technology or service uh, on a commercial basis to smallholder farmers. I kind of don't want to focus specifically on one case. We've done 50 of these agreements over the past six years. We've we've placed about $42 million through what we call performance-based grants, partners who are selected through a competitive process. We negotiate what we call a milestone-based agreement. We set up milestones for these partners to try to meet. They start off easy. Obviously, we want the partner to get get off and running. So we have what we call low-hanging fruit targets. But ultimately, what we want to see is we want to see the company actually commercialize something, sell something into this very challenging base of the pyramid market and make money off of it. The whole premise here is that small farmers don't have access to to improve goods and services because there are not companies out there selling them. Companies don't sell them because there's no demand. It's a very high bar to enter these markets. Um, There's a lot of upfront costs that go into establishing your infrastructure, your marketing team, training staff, doing the supply chain out to some of these, they're called last mile markets. Paying for some of those upfront costs is what our program does. We try to incentivize companies to go down into these markets and take a product or a service that they have available and try to move it into this very challenging market. You're trying to do a business forecast in, say, a new market with a new product. Being being engaged in agriculture, obviously, you're you're anticipating an average year where it rains, things grow, people plant, they harvest, they store, they sell. In agriculture, those years they don't often occur. So there's a big cycle of boom and bust in agriculture, even in the developed world. That's why we have so many safety nets around it. Developing these milestone plans, and I guess one of our initial failures in in, in doing this is, you know, when you think about sales, you're always thinking about dollars and cents. It's difficult to do that. Let's say a target is we want you to sell $100,000 of something into a market. At the start of the program, that $100,000 can translate into so many kwachas in Malawi, for example. Two years on, the same number of kwachas is only going to buy you, let's say, $70,000 worth of dollars. So the, the partner feels that they may have met the milestone, but in dollars and cents terms, they haven't. So things as fundamental as that, we've stumbled across. So now we're more attuned to selling a number of items into a market and counting those items and then trying to extrapolate dollars and cents that way. Understanding the market and positioning a product so that it's not only available in the marketplace, but accessible in the marketplace is another big challenge or, or thing that we've uh, we've stumbled around a bit before we found a pretty decent formula for doing that. I'll give you an example. Drip irrigation can be a, a real game changer in agriculture. If you sit down and work out the economics of drip irrigation, fairly high investment for a small farmer of let's say $500 can pay back very quickly. And in fact, we've shown that a $500 investment can be more than doubled in the first season. But 
drip irrigation, you know, you have to pay for it up front. Nobody's going to give this to you or and credit is very difficult for small farmers. It's a difficult technology to buy price-wise and therefore you have to introduce a kind of different model of, of financing it to help small farmers afford it. So this whole notion of pay-per-use, pay doing progress payments that are self-financed, let's say, for, for uh, from a company for the use of a, a technology is kind of an in innovative way of helping farmers purchase higher priced items. So those are a couple of examples of initially where we've had difficulties uh, moving technologies and where we helped the partner modify their, their business context or their business approach in, in, in making that work. A couple of examples you gave are around how are we measuring the goalposts? So not only how do we set them, but do we all agree to measure them in the same way? Are we thinking the right way about the pricing plan and what's possible? Does it feel like there's an underlying challenge? Trying to set the goalposts before, uh, let's say, a two-year program starts takes a little bit of creativity and flexibility. So knowing that things may change mid-course, let's say there could be a very bad production season where, you know, you're you're trying to get a company to sell seeds and there's a drought and so no one is really in the position of buying seeds. Being flexible enough to change updates for meeting milestones. Being able to talk about that up front in a way that doesn't say, well, if you miss it, we're going to extend it. We, we are entering into a partnership. In fact, we're calling it a partnership. We want you to be as transparent as possible with us and, you know, discuss what the challenges are that you're facing as this thing kicks off and, and, and moves into gear and having us be able to be flexible and uh, making adjustments. If a partner's claiming, well, all the farmers were experiencing drought and they're not buying seed, Obviously, we're going to go out and try to cross-verify. Yeah, there's a drought in this area and, and, and the market really has crashed. Trust but verify that, that old expression from Ronald Reagan. You know, it's important to have that uh, open line of communication and understanding that treat us fairly, we'll treat you fairly kind of thing. The, the, the other part is just really being clear about what you're after. We set milestones like, you know, you'll sell so many metric tons of this improved seed into a, into a new market. Well, the devil's in the detail of how you describe that. It seems like a very simple, straightforward milestone, but you do need to develop a few sentences or more of, of what we call means of verification, how we will actually check against that milestone to ensure that they've met it. And those things need to be discussed and, and clear up front because they become really some of the non-negotiable parts of the agreement. You still, at the end of the day, if you're going to extend it out an extra season or whatnot, you're still at the end of the day, we're investing in trying to get those, those improved seeds sold because we want so many farmers to benefit from it and show some smallholder farmer impact to, to, our, to our client, USAID. Open communication, developing the relationships so that both sides feel they can bring up issues and challenges and, and get a fair hearing. And one of the main criticisms that we receive from partners, hey, I didn't realize if I only met 75% of this milestone, I was still going to get nothing for it. Shouldn't I get 75% of the payment? So, you know, made crystal clear at the beginning so that people are comfortable with the targets that are agreed upon. 
FinTrack is a different organization to care and behaves in a different way. How do you think about who you are partnering with in the first place? Initially, this, this competitive process was open to both. We had some decent experience working with NGOs as they either individually tried to move out some idea or technology into their beneficiary marketplace, or they were supporting a local partner. I would say the former never worked. The NGO trying to move a concept or even a technology that they were promoting into a marketplace always treated it as if it was a project and not a going concern business. So at the end of the day, as the funding ended, you know, they were not generating revenue from whatever they were trying to do. And so they were therefore out there looking for additional grant to keep their concept going. On the other hand, when promoting a business, like for example, there was a a company that developed a very innovative software platform that they transferred over to an MFI in East Africa. Basically, the project was that MFI taking that software platform and helping their business with it. Kind of technology transfer and then ramping up a business, that worked very well. Um, obviously, the, the MFI was the beneficiary, but they were also the business that was kind of taking that technology and, and scaling that up in the marketplace and, and earning money to do, to do that scaling so that they could continue after the grand ended. And, and this is the case with commercial companies as well. Commercial companies are in it, obviously. They, they want to gain market share and sales, and they have to cover their costs and make a profit. From the midpoint of the project onward, we, we really discouraged the, the NGO-focused programs and, and focus much more on commercial companies. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? One of the challenges for us has been the timing of the whole thing. We work in agriculture. In many countries, even in the tropics in the developing world, when you're talking about agriculture, you really have one cycle per year to, to test something out, a way to make a, an aid project longer in term so that these agreements could three to four years as opposed to one or two years, then that would have helped with introducing a technology and proving the concept and getting some commercial traction. You know, the competitive process is very attractive to the donor. We try to get the best applications and uh, the things that will create the biggest impact for the least amount of, of money. You know, that whole process really skews the competition to, you know, more sophisticated companies or companies that can afford to hire people who write these types of agreements, as opposed to young, ambitious, let's say locally, locally grown companies that may not have the capabilities to kind of tap into an application process like this. And I would advocate something along the lines of send us, you know, a one to two page concept note. Let's kind of shortlist the concept notes and go back and begin to talk to a larger number of partners and, and do it more on a back and forth discussion mode as opposed to written applications that can be and difficult sometimes to interpret. One of the things we often struggle with at CARE is that our mission is very explicitly to reach the poorest and most vulnerable people. And that that is, as you said, harder. It's yeah. they're farther away, they have fewer assets, uh, it's easier to exclude them. Did you have any experiences where it felt like you were having to make trade-offs around that? I think there are markets everywhere and where somebody's earning some money, they're going to spend it on a good or a service. Um, you know, it's not just going to go in under their match. Fundamentally, if you help that person double their income, then there's twice as much money that they're using to either 
you know, buy food in the off season or do some improvement around the house or send their kid to school or, and really, if you can help make that happen, then there's more money in the economy and there's more opportunity for businesses. So if, if you can help businesses move into those markets and recognize there is a commercial uh, marketplace for something that they have, and obviously what they, what they're offering has to have value to an end beneficiary or a customer, the entering is the high cost. And that's where I think the subsidy has to exist. It, ha- it can be an incentive-based subsidy like we provide, but I think that there has to be some incentive to get a toehold and, and develop the market. Back to your point about the poorest of the poor, there are people who are farming that probably should never be farming. They farm because they own land. Farming is all they can do economically. Pre- presented with another opportunity, many of these folks would abandon the farm and do, do whatever else they could do. There are people who are farming because they love it and they're good at it and they're very innovative. I think those are people who take commercial risk and adopt new technology first. They're more the entrepreneurs and the early adopters. And and helping companies identify those folks and get traction there can pull some of the poorest of the poor up. But we have to admit to ourselves that there there is a certain number, all these populations in certain regions and countries that are just going to remain poor. And so there have to be other programs to take care of them. We can't go into this thinking that our partners are exclusively going to sell to small farmers as a business. We're trying to get them to look at that market as a potential market uh, that they can sell to to make a certain percentage of their overall revenues. Many of these companies are also going to continue to sell to medium scale and large scale clients. And, and you know that should be supported as well. Those profit margins are higher, but those markets are also limited in the, in the developing world. And so our point is down into these base of the pyramid markets, because this is a new place, they need your good or service, green fields as far as markets. And so if we can get you to look in there and see how you can make money, we've done our job. Because I'm convinced that, that there isn't a market out there that uh, there aren't opportunities for businesses if they structure themselves well. What's an action or a recommendation you would have for other people who are trying to do this kind of work of helping businesses get over the initial cost to get into a market? I think that there's a real resistance to working with the private sector that, that needs to be overcome in, the de- in development. You know, granted, there are multiple, multiple examples of, of how commercial companies exploit. They love to be monopolies and they love to enter a new market and raise prices and things like that. But that's not all companies. Maintain that mindset, then we're not going to have any kind of creation of, of local businesses that are really needed in order for us to meet the, the sustainable development goals. So basically get over working with the private sector. You have to work with the private sector. I mean, there are committed people out there who are trying to do good and make money. And, you know, we need to work with them and help them do that. Profit's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. If you're working with businesses that aren't making money, then they're, they're not going to be businesses too much longer after you stop working with them. Making them efficient, making them, um, uh, you know, productive uh, commercial success is important. I think understanding the needs of the marketplace, I, and, and this is, I guess, a, one of the biggest challenges of every company that we work with. Companies that started and grown for 20 years, let's say in the Zambian marketplace, you know, big international companies that sell region-wide or or continent-wide in Africa, 
they all struggle with understanding this small scale farmer, you know, this person who owns one to two hectares and who may farm and make 500 to $1,000 a year on it. This is a big, big area that we work a lot on that we try to help our partners, you know, getting in touch with these customers, understanding what drives them and, and figuring out how to sell to them and make them repeat customers. Do you have any last thoughts or final words of advice you want to share? You know, today I was looking at some data on first 50 agreements and, you know, this whole concept of what is failure and and how much failure is is acceptable, et cetera. When you're working with businesses that are trying to get into new markets, there's an incredibly high failure rate, something like 20% of the businesses succeed. These are new businesses succeed after five years. Anything that you can do to improve on those numbers, you know, is a good thing, but but you have to recognize that um, some of the things you support and try to do are not going to succeed. You know, chalk it up to experience. And also, uh, there's something that we talk about here about failing fast. Structuring, going back to the, the original milestone-based agreement, structure it in a way that, you know, you're making some investment and you're getting some indication of traction. But if you're getting indications that there isn't traction and maybe the partner is, is not up to snuff to really carry it out or there really isn't a market for the type of product that you're supporting, to be able to end the investment so that you're not, you've not sunk a ton of money uh, and effort into it. Thanks so much, Bob, for joining us today. Everybody who's been listening, thanks for tuning in to Failing Forward, and let us know what you think about working with the private sector and markets as a way to reach the poorest of the poor.